I'm coming your way live from San Diego, the midst of the Evangelical Theological Society Conference. I'll talk to you about the importance of the Word and the Spirit, and take your calls right here on The Line of Fire. It's time for The Line of Fire with your host, activist, author, international speaker, and theologian, Dr. Michael Brown, your voice of moral, cultural, and spiritual revolution. Michael Brown is the director of the Coalition of Conscience and president of Fire School of Ministry. Get into The Line of Fire now by calling 866-34-TRUTH. That's 866-34-TRUTH. Here again is Dr. Michael Brown. Thanks, friends, for joining us today on The Line of Fire. This is Michael Brown. I am coming away live from San Diego. We've got our portable radio set up here, and the phone lines are open for all your questions, <clears throat> questions of any kind, questions that relate in any way to any subject matter we cover here on The Line of Fire, biblical, theological, cultural, apologetics, you name it, 866 348 I also want to give you some insights on why we need both the Word and the Spirit, why we are to love God with heart and with mind. It's not either or, it's both and. We love God with heart and soul, mind and strength. We need the Scriptures. We need the power of God. I will explain that, open that up to you as well. But again, phone lines open, 866 Three four truth is the number to call. Okay, I've just got to alert you to one thing though. We had a mix up in sending my portable radio equipment. For the first time, one unit, one power supply was replaced by a different one by accident as our team was just going through things and checking on inventory, what was being shipped with me, etc. Because of that, I'm on battery power today. We'll have things overnighted for the rest of the week, God willing, but I'm on battery power, and I don't know how much battery power I have. So you say, well, what's going to happen if the battery goes? Well, then I will have to call in to my own show, and we will finish the show with your same host from the same location, live in San Diego, but this time around, we will be it's a little different sound quality. So hopefully that won't happen. But uh, we're on yellow now. I think it's like six hours, and I'm on like the last quarter, last third. So we shall see. Oh, I'll talk faster. That's it. I'll talk faster. This is where we get all the battery power. Okay. I, I just was sent a note that Bishop Talbert Swan had tweeted out, I guess, yesterday. Uh, he's blocked me. I had blocked him because of the flood of really ugly, hateful tweets that were coming in and tried to reach out to him behind the scenes, but he's not reciprocated. In any case, he tweeted this out yesterday, so he blocked me so I can't see his stuff. Frankly, if heaven is going to be full of white American evangelicals, I'll take my chances on hell. That, that's a really sad thing to read. Friends, no, nobody's going to keep me from being with Jesus forever. No, no one is going to keep me from being in the presence of God forever. No, no human being is going to keep me from enjoying fellowship with my Savior and worshiping and honoring Him forever. No, sir, no, ma'am. That's not going to happen. That's number one. Number two, anyone that the Lord approves to be with Him forever, you better believe I'm there. If the Lord says, this one is my child, this one is my brother, this one is my sister, then I'm there. If, if He says they're welcome to be with Him forever, then 
His standards are a whole lot higher than mine. If he accepts them, I accept them. I, I can't wait to be in eternity with brothers and sisters from every background and every color and every race. And yes, as it's often been said, heaven at one and the same time will be a great eye opener and a great mouth closer. Mm-hmm. In other words, that a lot of people will be surprised to see you there and we'll be surprised to see a lot of people there. Uh, let it be. So be it. But anyone that God says is worthy to be with him forever through the blood of the Lamb, then that's my brother, that's my sister. I embrace them. So it's just, it's very sad to see sentiments like that and to see the, the power of hatred, the blinding power of hatred. It makes me pray that he'll have such a fresh encounter with Jesus that love would flow out of his heart uh, for, for those he differs with and that he'd get to know them as well. All right, 866-34-TRUTH. Before we go to your calls, I want to talk for a moment about being out at a scholarly conference. It, many years ago, when I was doing my PhD work and when I first had my doctorate, I would attend these various conferences and deliver papers. That's what you do. You go to the conference and a certain you, know, you have thousands of people attending and hundreds deliver papers. Or you're in a forum, you're interacting on different things. I would, I would go to Society of Biblical Literature and deliver papers there. Uh, I went to North American Conference of Afroasiatic Linguistics at Harvard University, delivered a paper there. Uh, and then I'd go to the regional conferences and things like that. And it was great to connect with people. It was great to sit and listen to other scholars present things. You learn from that. You'd give a presentation. They, they'd question your thesis or, or sharpen it. So it was, it was enjoyable, but... With the press of ministry, the call on my life outside of just the four walls of academia, that's why I never accepted a position. I was asked to on several occasions with leading seminaries to apply for a full-time Old Testament Hebrew Semitic position, but never felt I was to do it, just my own life and calling, and bless those that, that are called to do that. So I was doing scholarly research and writing, but I wasn't primarily teaching an affiliation with just one school. Now I've taught uh, at seven different seminaries over the years, some more regularly than others. I was, I was mainly traveling and writing, but been years since I've been at these conferences. And a few years back, went to Evangelical Theological Society Conference, which is, is, is better in that you basically have all believers there. You know, virtually all the people there are believers, fellow evangelicals. If you go to Society of Biblical Literature, you get a ton of non-believers there, liberals from every persuasion. I mean, some of the most bizarre presentations you can imagine are, are being put forward in some of these settings. Uh, and again, you, you learn and you challenge things, but it's, it's quite a different world. In any case, there, uh, ETS, Evangelical Theological Society, and Society of Biblical Literature, American Academy of Religion, have their conferences back-to-back. So ETS and then SBL slash AAR. So I'll be presenting at both of them papers related to my Job commentary. Uh, this way I can interact with other scholars about that and let them know about what I've written. But it's interesting being out here that uh, person after person that knows me from different settings has come up to, to express appreciation. And overwhelmingly, overwhelmingly, what they want to thank me for is being a voice on moral and cultural issues, being a voice on LGBT issues and doing it with compassion, but without compromise. That is such a blessing to hear. I've gotten just from 
last night meeting a few folks and then today meeting quite a few. Uh, it, it's, it's very humbling. It's very heartwarming. It's very gratifying. Any good that comes out of me is obviously all to the glory of the Lord. But I'm so blessed to know that we are being a blessing to so many. It it is encouraging to me to know that by God's grace, we are, as, as advertised, being your voice of moral, cultural, and spiritual revolution. So thank you, all of you who support us financially. All of our torchbearers bless you and thank you. All of our Patreon supporters bless you and thank you. All of you who pray for us. All of you who share our articles, share our broadcasts with others, thank you from the bottom of my heart for your partnership. Together, we are making a difference. On the flight to San Diego last night, I wrote an article, a follow-up for Chick-fil-A, and I, I didn't realize there was another organization, Covenant House, excuse me, a, another organization, wrong name, uh, that was dropped, another Christian organization that specifically would fit in the areas of, of homelessness, hunger, education, a Christian organization dropped from funding. And I was told by Chick-fil-A, I was told that they are now funding an organization which is blatantly pro-LGBTQ. So if you see online petitions reaching out to Chick-fil-A, calling them to recant, calling them to reverse their decision, calling them to do the right thing, Sign those petitions. I'll, I'll be posting links to probably the, the AFA one. I just got it in my inbox right before the show and did not yet have time to, to sign myself. But let's send a message, not of hate, but of disappointment and of encouragement to do the right thing. Now, I, I want you to think of one more thing, and I am going to talk a little later in the show about the importance of both the Word and the Spirit, so I will get into that. And in a setting like this, when you're around scholars, when you're around academics, you realize, yeah, it's really important to understand the scriptures. It's really important to dig. It's really important to have sound theology. It's really good to learn the Hebrew and the Aramaic and the Greek. It's really good to understand principles of hermeneutics and what it means to do proper exegesis. And all this is really good, but it is not word only. And the word itself is spiritual. It is word and spirit. So I will come back to that in a moment. But let me just say this. <clears throat> Back to Chick-fil-A. When they said, look, we're going to concentrate on homelessness, on education, and hunger. I mentioned this yesterday. I want to mention it again today. And then they said, and we're not continuing to support Salvation Army. That would be like saying, because we are focusing on space exploration, we're no, going to, no longer going to work with NASA or because we're focusing on professional football, we're no, gonna, no longer going to work with the NFL. Or, or because we're, I, I mean, just David, you see the absurdity of it. Because we want to focus on professional basketball, we're not going to work with the NBA. I mean, the Salvation Army, this is what they do. If it's perfectly into the guidelines of what Chick-fil-A wants to give money to. And, and, and yet, and yet, they backed down. They have, they have caved in to LGBTQ bigots and bullies. And, and, and listen, once you are branded a certain way, once you are called out, once you are branded a bully by LGBT activists, once you're called a bigot, the only way to fix that in their eyes is to join their team and celebrate their activism. There is no middle ground, all right? And, and you know what's really painful here? 
you have so many fine people working within Chick-fil-A. You have fine managers with, with great ethics, and they set a great atmosphere in their local restaurants and franchises. You have so many workers there that really, that really seek to, to be gracious when you walk in and, and treat you like they care about you and all of this, and they're working hard. And it could well be that people just have a bad taste in their mouth through Chick-fil-A and stop going there, and then it hurts the local businesses because of the compromise of leadership. So this really hurts everybody, but it's so, so very important to send a message to the now. Don't do it with hatred. Don't do it with anger. Make an appeal. Even go to your local store and ask your manager, hey, could you just communicate to Chick-fil-A? We're really disappointed, and we're asking them to reverse course. And if they say, oh, no, 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 it's not what we've done. It's what they've done. It's what they've done. All right, we'll be right back. Sean, Angelica, you're up next. It's the Line of Fire with your host, Dr. Michael Brown. Get into the Line of Fire now by calling 866-34-TRUTH. Here again is Dr. Michael Brown. All right, friends, just an alert. If somehow on my portable radio unit as I'm broadcasting from San Diego, California, if somehow something happens and the battery power dies because we don't have the right power supply with us today, you will hear music just for a few seconds and then I will be reconnected via a regular phone line. So fear not. Even if you're on the, if you're on the phone with me, just we'll be right back. Don't worry. But hopefully we'll, we'll make it. We've got enough juice for the show. 866-34-TRUTH. We start in Texas with Sean. Welcome to the Line of Fire. Hey, Dr. Brown. How are you today, sir? Doing very well. Thank you. Good deal. I just wanted to make a statement. I'm uh, I'm not an anti-Trump you know, Trump guy. I voted for him and everything. But I was thinking this morning about him and, uh, and just our situation and our culture. And uh, it occurred to me, at least within, uh, uh, within his speech and... Uh, the, just the flippant attitude sometimes. Uh, uh, Trump is kind of our culture personified, in, in a way. He kind of reflects every, every, most of the, the other politicians that are coming against him. They're saying uh, things about him, uh, you know, finances, and, oh, this is a scandal, that's a scandal. Have scandals in their own, in their own, uh, in their own lives. They have things going on, they have affairs in their own lives. And it's just kind of a reflection. Uh, it seems to me a reflection of our culture. We vote what we voted in is what's in office. Our what's in our culture has been voted in, and uh, and people don't seem to like it. But um, I find that oftentimes, even with myself, if I'm having to look at something that's not easy, uh, I don't typically like it. You know, and um, and I didn't know. Maybe I'm not articulating that the best. Yeah, way. well, let, let, um, let me let me let me say this. Um, Obviously, the culture has been what it is before Donald Trump was president, and Donald Trump was who he is before he was president. Obviously, certain changes now that he's president or once he's been running or with evangelicals and other Christians around him, but there is a, a, a lack of civility that has arisen in our culture, especially through social media where everybody can just blast away. You can hide behind anonymity if you want. You say things one to another you would never say face-to-face. You, you use language you would never use. There's a coarseness about it, a harshness about it. 
And obviously, there are many who voted for Donald Trump, as, as I did, and many voted for him because they wanted someone to fight. They wanted someone to stand. They, they were tired of politicians not fighting back. They were tired with the left being aggressive and the, and the right not being equally aggressive. And here Trump comes along and he fights and he speaks and he says it like it is. And part of that is good and positive in that he pushes back against wrong and he pushes back against intimidation. But other aspects of it are very fleshly and negative, and to me, beneath the office of the president. You can fight and be strong, but do it in a certain way. And it's, it's almost given further license to others to blast away. The, the, the newscasters are more crass. Profanity is used more. People are attacking each other more freely. In, in other words, there has been a, a further degenerating of our society it's kind of like we, we've gotten what we've asked for. So I appreciate all the good the president has done. I, I, if it was him against a, a Democrat candidate with any of the current crop, I would vote for him in 2020 against them, barring some major information that comes up between now and then. The president. But I still grieve over what I believe has been a degenerating and dividing effect on our culture. There was great division in the Obama presidency and now further division under the Trump presidency. So, Sean, I do understand what you're saying. Thank you. 866-34-TRUTH. Uh, we go to Angelica in Louisiana. Thank you for calling the line of fire. Yes. Good afternoon, Dr. Brown. Um, good this, afternoon. It's indeed a pleasure that I am speaking with you. And um, with a heavy heart, I'm, I've been following the exchanges between you and um, Bishop Swan. And I was just thinking, maybe from another perspective, um, the route to Bishop Swan's argument, or a lot of um, African American people in today's society, and even in Christianhood, is that um, as the, with the Jews, we know the Holocaust was just awful. It's no questions asked or no argument about what happened. However, though, it seems like from the African American community, the our Christian brothers of different races, they kind of seem a little quiet, or I would say turn the other cheek on the matters that African Americans face every day. Could you kind of give me some mm -hmm. insight on that? And as African American believer, you know, um, how can we um, stand firm without being called names because we believe the Bible versus uh, ethnicity or um, a person's the color of their skin. So could you kind of elaborate yeah. on that? You, you bet, Angelica. And uh, let, let me break this down in a few different ways. Let's remember that in American history that there were many whites who professed to be Christians, some of whom were Christians, and they didn't seem to have a problem with slavery. In fact, you had Christians fighting on both sides of the Civil War. So that's a shameful part of our past that can't be denied. We also know that it was Christians who fought in the Civil War and Christians who fought for the abolition of slavery who were white and, and who laid down their lives to stand for their black brothers and sisters. But, of course, that's a stain on our past, no question about it. And it's not such distant past, right? You know, It's not 10,000 years ago or 1,000 years ago. And then in, during segregation, shamefully, there were white Christians that were on the wrong side of segregation. So that's another shameful part of our past. The 
Christians I know that were old enough to be living in the South and involved at that time, they fought against segregation. They had issues with segregation. And I, I grew up in New York, and it was, it was not a segregated society there. But to this day, there are well-meaning Christians, white Christians, who are not aware of challenges that black Americans face. They're not aware of some of the prejudices that still exist. They're not aware of the double standards that, that sometimes exist. And it's not a matter of malice. It's not a matter of ill will, because they, they do want equality and they do care about everybody. And that's why the key thing is education, information. When you do what Bishop Swan is doing, sadly, and uh, we've reached out every way we know how. I, I mean, we called his office and said, here, do you want my cell phone number? I, I've done everything I know to reach out. But when there's hatred and judgmentalism that blinds someone's eyes, he doesn't even know me from Adam. But obviously, I'm part of this demonized system that exists in his mind because of which he's willing to forfeit being with Jesus forever rather than to be with people like me in the world to come. That, that's very, very sad to see. But Angelica, there's no question that issues do exist. And I think everything has to be looked at holistically. For example, if a police officer says we're not racially profiling, just in our area, most crime in, in this city is committed by people from this age group of this ethnicity or skin color. So that's what we're looking at. If you happen to fit in that, you're going to be it's not racial profiling, it's crime profiling. Yeah, but then the, the flip side is a lot of innocent people, good people, get profiled, get stopped. So the thing is, we, we have to put the issues on the table. And the way that you do it is by appeal to brothers and sisters and saying, hey, I believe you love Jesus. We're in this together. Are you aware of what life is like for me? Are, are you aware of what I face? Are you aware of what I believe is still systemic racism in aspects of our society or in the courts or this, are, are you aware of this? And, and I think if you're dealing with a true believer, they want to hear this. They want to understand this. And, and if you can do that rather than identifying, say, with a radical Black Lives Matter group that's also radically pro-transgender and pro-queer and, and, and stirring up hatred and animosity towards policemen who are trying to do their job, if you identify with them, now you become part of the bad guys. If you just say, hey, we are we're not them, we're not radicals, we have conservative moral values, but you don't understand what it's like to be a black American. You don't understand what we still face. Then you help educate those of us who have blind spots. And I believe if you make that appeal, then you'll win a friend and you'll win an ally. And if they don't respond the right way, then it shows there's something deeper that's wrong in their hearts. Do you think that's just wishful thinking on my behalf, or Angelica, do you think that's a useful strategy? I believe it's a useful strategy, and I just hope that it's used a lot, because um, we need each other. And, I mean, you yes. know, I'm just, it just saddens me as a believer, because, you know, um, on a lot of things that Trump did, I agree with him, because I am pro-life. I am against, I believe, the, the principles in, in in, the, in, in sound doctrine. However, there's things that he said, he says all the time, and it's offensive, especially to someone like me. And where I'm, I'm it's, I stay in the, in, in the South, and here, I mean, whether you're you are a, a hardworking citizen and 
you know, you're still labeled because of the color of your skin. And that's just something that we face every day. And I just, you know, um, I, it just really have me because I, I don't want to be on the race bandit. I don't want to be because I'm black. This is what yeah. I, I believe in truth and the God, God's truth. That's what I stand on. But the lines are getting blurred more and more with the, the yeah. help of social media, with the cases of, um, you know, the identity of, of, you know, the unfairness that's being treated. And it, the lines are getting blurred. And speaking to an African-American yeah, and I, Hey, I just, I just have to jump in because we got a break coming up. But calls like this help. In other words, have these conversations. Make people aware. And when you do it in a way that's loving, with no hatred with no accusation say hey come on we need each other if we're brothers and sisters you need to love me as yourself calls like this conversations like this educate inform because we need to stand together for justice and for equality god bless you angelica give us strength to always do what's right it's the line of fire with your host dr michael brown your voice of moral cultural and spiritual revolution here again is dr michael brown thanks friends for joining us today this is michael brown audio only if you are watching on youtube or facebook the voice is the same but there's no video feed because i'm coming away from san diego at the evangelical theological society conference number to call 866-34-TRUTH, 866-348-7884. I'll be presenting a paper, God willing, tomorrow morning on Job and how Job spoke rightly about God. This is what God says in Job 42, 7 and 8. And in what way there can be a proper challenging of God by faith. Ooh, how do we do that? And then Saturday afternoon, God willing, at the Society of Pentecostal Scholars, or a Society of Pentecostal Study, a meeting at Society of Biblical Literature meeting, I'll be presenting a paper on Job as a challenge to the rigid orthodoxy of Charismatics and Pentecostals. Mm, another interesting topic. If you don't have my Job commentary, you, en- you enjoy serious study of the Word. You can get it at christianbook.com or amazon.com, or you can go to our website, askdrbrown.org, and when you order it, if you'd like me to sign it, it would be my joy. All right, I just want to give you an alert if you just tuned in that with my portable radio equipment, there was an error in setting up the equipment to send with me. And because of that, I have to be on battery power. If the battery was fully charged, we could do several shows, but it's running low. And if at some point I suddenly drop out and you hear music, just stay right there. I'll be rejoining via phone rather than our high-tech audio equipment. But so far, I think, I think, going to make it. We shall see. All right. The Word and the Spirit go hand in hand. Sometimes we think, man, I just need to study, 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 get in the Word, get in the Word, get in the Word. And it's great to get in the Word. It's great to study. The first two years I was a believer, I read the Bible cover to cover about five times. I used to memorize 20 verses a day, did that for at least six months, and have been in the Word and serious study ever since. I got a PhD in Eastern Languages and Literatures from NYU so I could more effectively study Scripture, especially the Hebrew Bible in its ancient Near Eastern background. I study on a regular basis and dig. But friends, when I study the Word, I see that the Word tells me I need the Holy Spirit. As I study the Word, 
I see that the word and the spirit go hand in hand. I see in Matthew 22, Jesus rebuking the Pharisees and saying, you're mistaken because you don't know the scriptures or the power of God. I see John 4, where Jesus says that the Father is seeking those who will worship him in spirit and in truth. I I see a brilliant intellectual like Paul telling the Corinthians that when he preached to them, that his, his preaching his teaching, his speech, were they were not with wise and persuasive words of human wisdom, but rather in demonstration of the Spirit and power. I see in Luke 24, after Jesus has opened his disciples' minds, the ones who have been with him in his ministry, the ones whom he sent out, the ones whom he mentored, the ones who saw him die, the ones who saw him after he rose, that these same disciples, he opens their minds so they could understand the scriptures. Who, who could have ever had an experience like that? More, no one on the planet ever before or since could have what they had because they were with him three plus years in the flesh. And he mentored them and he sent them out and they saw him physically die and they were with him after he rose. And then he taught them and then he opened their minds to understand the scriptures. And then what does it say? He says in Luke twenty four forty nine, stay in the city of Jerusalem until you're endued with power from on high. Without the power from on high, you cannot be effective witnesses. Then Acts 1.8, you'll receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you, and you'll be my witnesses, Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, to the ends of the earth. Now, I want you to think of this as well, friends. Throughout the New Testament, the gifts and power of the Spirit are presupposed. The presence of the Spirit is presupposed. The fact that we have the Holy Spirit dwelling in us as a deposit is presupposed. When did the Spirit change? Simple question. When did that Holy Spirit change? When did he stop moving supernaturally? Now, now let me throw out another thought for you. That I'm, I'm going to go to the phone shortly. Let me throw out another thought for you. Those of you who say, well, the Bible is sufficient. I did a show about that a few weeks ago and said, well, the Bible is sufficient to do what the Bible does. The Bible doesn't take the place of your husband or your wife. The Bible doesn't take the place of your paycheck at the end of the week. The Bible doesn't take the place of the food that you put on your table. The Bible doesn't take the place of your relationship with God. Through Scripture, you come to know God, but then you have a relationship with God. right? It's not Father, Son, and Holy Bible. It's Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. We have communion, relationship with, fellowship with the Holy Spirit. All right, so let me just take this a little further. Do you believe... The Bible contains everything God ever spoke at any time. Well, the obvious answer is no, of course not. Because the Bible speaks of many prophets, but we only have the writings of a few prophets. The New Testament frequently speaks of prophetic words, prophetic utterances being given. The end time outpouring is on all flesh. Sons and daughters will prophesy. So there have been many things, hundreds, thousands, millions of things that God said at different points, but were not recorded in the Bible because they are not the Bible. They do not have that unique place in human history and revelatory history and the dealings of God. The Bible stands alone, nothing else, no book, no revelation, no insight, no dream, no prophecy. Nothing compares with the Word of God, as God has chosen to give it to us for salvation, for edification, for education, for correction. All right, But if the Holy Spirit speaks to you today and lays it on your heart, you, you need to go into that store and share the gospel with someone you're going to meet in a wheelchair. And you think, well, I just feel led to do that. And you get out of your, you park your car there and you go out. And sure enough, there's a person in a wheelchair and you get in. Boy, they happen to be wide open to the gospel. 
And they tell you, just last night I was praying, God, if you're real, send someone to speak to me. That didn't add to the Bible. That was what the Bible talks about in action. And look, Leonard Gravenhill, who had a massive library, who was a deeply theological man, but even more a man of prayer and a man intimate with Jesus, he would often say the man with an experience is never at the mercy of the man with an argument. I, I just spoke with a woman whose PhD dissertation, she teaches, does apologetics work, her PhD dissertation focused on interviews with former atheists who are now followers of Jesus. And the number one thing that brought them to the Lord was not intellectual arguments, but getting to know Christians and getting to know the goodness of the Christian faith. In other words, they saw it in action. In a similar way, if you will go around the world today, and this has been for several find the number one reason that Hindus come to faith, that Muslims come to faith, that Buddhists come to faith, that people of other religions come to faith, it's an encounter with God, a healing, a miracle, someone set free from demonic power. One of these things happened, and because of that, the people realized God is real. This message from the Bible that's being preached is real, and they now go to the Scriptures, they meet the Lord, they get saved, they get changed, they go to the Scriptures, the Holy Spirit fills their lives, and now they see the living God in action just as Scripture says. Now, if you just have the Spirit, if you just have the encounter and you're not grounded in the Word, you're going to get flaky, you're going to get into all kinds of weird doctrines and beliefs, because we know who Jesus is, we know about the nature of God, we know how God calls us to live, not simply by the leading of the Spirit or the revelation of the Spirit, by by what is written. That's how we know who he is. That's how we get our information. People say, well, Jesus is the living word. I don't need the written word anymore. What? That's complete nonsense. It's the written word that tells you who the living word is. And any relationship that you develop with him will be in harmony with what is written about him. All right? If you don't have the grounding in the word, you'll justify improper conduct. You'll justify the flesh. You'll give place to it. You'll mistake your own thinking for the truth of God because you don't have bearings, you don't have groundings, you don't have a grid against which to test things. But if you have those things, friends, if you're grounded in the Word, then that same Word tells you about life in the Spirit, and that same Word tells you about the importance of the power of the Spirit as you share the Gospel and ministers to others. Word and Spirit, they go hand in hand like they do through the whole Bible. All right? 866-34-TRUTH. To the phones we go. Byron in Knoxville, Tennessee. Welcome to the line of fire. Thank you for having me, Dr. Brown. Um, first, uh, I want to acknowledge and thank God for you and for your ministry and for what you've done after the Lord. Um, my question, uh, just to give a little context to it, um, like you, I was a drummer uh, that was basically called by the Lord at a high school age. So that was one kind of thing I thought we had in common. Um, but in light of all of the problems within the country and the leadership in the church, um, I was wondering what you would attribute, if there was any credence to it, um, Matthew fifteen nine, which Jesus talks about um, the doctrines of men being taught as the commandments of God. Yeah, well, to how that affects how we understand God and Jesus as being, you know, the truth instead of yes, sir. Yeah, first, thank God for His mercy in your life, also as a fellow once lost drummer. 
So in short, <laughs> you have it in Judaism, you have it in Christianity, where human traditions get added to the Bible, or human traditions change what's written in the Bible. And Jesus dealt with that in his own day as a practicing Torah-observant Jew, that there were traditions that were developing, especially among the Pharisees, that added to Scripture or changed the meaning of Scripture. And because of that, he said it's getting in the way of the real meaning of what God intended. So some of the Sabbath laws, even if they were intended to put a fence around the Torah to make it harder to sin and violate the, the Torah laws, even if there was zeal behind them, the fact is in the end, they were destructive. In the end, they got in the way of the spirit of the law, so Jesus would address them. Matthew 15, Mark 7, some of the passages, Mark 3, Matthew 12, Matthew 23. This is throughout the Gospels, John 5, John 9. These things come up. But you can do the same thing in the church. Uh, for example, uh, the Catholic Church making it mandatory for priests to be celibate. I see as explicitly contrary to the teaching and example of the New Testament, and something that can actually be very, very uh, destructive. So uh, the same way we can do it in our own churches. And you say, well, how do you know the difference? Just with a humble heart, always be respectful of your leaders. If you see them being godly men, if you see them setting a good example, if you see the overall teaching that they bring being right on, you honor and respect that. But if they say something, it's like, where are you getting this from? I don't see it anywhere in the Bible. It seems like you're reading something in that's not there, or you have an extreme interpretation. Then, with all respect to them, you question it because your ultimate allegiance is to God and what is written. We'll be right back. Thank you for the question. It's The Line of Fire with your host, activist, author, international speaker, and theologian, Dr. Michael Brown. Your voice of moral, cultural, and spiritual revolution. Get into The Line of Fire now by calling 866-34-TRUTH. Here again is Dr. Michael Brown. Thanks, friends, for joining us on The Line of Fire today. We're coming away audio only from San Diego. Uh... Why our battery on our portable unit is getting real, real low. We're having our uh, missing piece overnighted to us, so we should be good. Uh, got a special show for you tomorrow, then taking your questions on Friday. But we're getting close. Hopefully, we'll make it these last few minutes. All right. Uh, in Illinois, Timothy, welcome to the line of fire. Hey, thanks, Dr. Brown. Um, so You're I welcome. I just had a question kind of about uh, your view of baptism, because I'm, I'm a Lutheran, and we hold to uh, baptismal regeneration because of all the passages that reference baptism in relation to the forgiveness of sins and uh, forget, um, the giving of the Holy Spirit, and even in regards to salvation, like First Peter 3.21 talks about. I guess I was trying to understand, like, uh, but we still obviously hold to a fully, all it's all God's work, like baptism itself is salvific in nature, but it's all God's work that we are saved through baptism. It's not anything we do. We're passive recipients. And so I guess I was trying to understand what, what it is that your view is of baptism and how do you uh, deal with the verses that seem to point to it relating to forgiveness of sins or actually having some sort of efficacy in relation, in relation to salvation. Yeah, it's, it's a great question, and I, I want to separate it into two parts. 
the idea of baptizing babies, I, I categorically reject scripturally. The question of baptismal regeneration is a separate question to me. Uh, what's clear is that baptism follows repentance and faith. So starting in uh, the longer ending of Mark, those who believe and are baptized will be saved to the first calls in the book of Acts. Acts chapter 2, verse 38. Repent and be baptized for the forgiveness of sins. Uh, believe. You know, what must we do? Believe. And then after believing, you're saved. So that's the first thing. The idea that it can be for infants who have not repented, believed, I see categorically Scripture being against that. As for the effect of baptism, I also see Paul teaching that we are justified by faith, we see that the thief on the cross, because remember, immersion predated, uh, <clears throat> immersion predated uh, the, the Gospels. This was something that was practiced in Judaism. So John the Immerser comes preaching repentance, having water baptism. This was something that people were used to. So uh, it symbolizes the cleansing of sin. It was the outward act that now uh, sanctified, or, or excuse me, that solidified the, the confession of faith, the repentance. But baptism in itself is not what did the work. It was the change of heart. So when Paul says we're justified by faith, when he, when he teaches that, when we, when we are born again, when the thief on the cross simply acknowledges who Jesus is, and Jesus says, this day you'll be with me in paradise, or in Acts the 10th chapter where Cornelius and his household are baptized in the Spirit and are now speaking in tongues. So God has received them. They have believed they've been received. So they are regenerated. You can't be filled with the Spirit and speak in tongues unless you regenerate it. Then Peter says, Is anyone, can anyone forbid, forbid them from being baptized? So the baptism came after they were already regenerated, quite explicitly there. So uh, somehow we lost our caller there, so I can't uh, interact and respond further. 1 Peter 3 is just giving the physical picture of that, what, what baptism does, just like in, in the book of Acts when Ananias tells Paul is in Acts 22, arise and be baptized, washing away your sins. So this symbolizes the washing of the sins. This symbolizes the dying to sin and rising with Jesus. But in and of itself, it doesn't regenerate. Otherwise, Cornelius and his household could not have been speaking in tongues before they were baptized. They were regenerated. They were filled with the Spirit. And then baptism was the public seal. So that's my answer. But thank you for the question. Uh, all right, let's go to Raleigh, North Carolina, Mac. Welcome to the line of fire. Thank you very much. Um, I have a question that's been bothering me for a long time, and I hope you can uh, shed some light into it. It's a kind of a multi-part question, uh, so I hope you'll bear with me. Uh, it has to do with the theology of angels and the devil. First of all, it's, it's a couple questions I got here. Why don't angels get a chance at redemption? Because I used to think when I was young and say that they just, simply didn't have a choice, but obviously they did, you know, and, and Satan chose to turn away and took a third of the angels with him. Okay, so uh, I don't know if we want to talk about that first. Can we just talk about that yeah, first? Yeah, so, so my, my understanding, and it's speculation, sir, because yes, sir. I, I don't know anything more than you know. In other words, the, if it's not in Scripture, then I don't have a specific answer. But my understanding would be that they send with their eyes totally wide open and made a quality choice to disobey because of which they didn't get a second chance. 
And also, God is not obligated to give anyone a second chance. Here, if you're born into a home, right, where you're born into a Muslim home, you, the little you know about Jesus, you know from the Quran, you think you're doing the right thing by being a Muslim, and, and now, of course, God sends his son to seek and save the lost. That's different. Right. That Muslim, to me, is different than the angel who is in the holy presence of God with, okay, without so a devil. Yeah, go ahead. I think, I think that's a good segue to the second part then. So, yeah. so in Revelations, we're kind of taught that after Jesus comes back and he's got all of his folks with him for a thousand years and the devil's um, locked away in chains, even after the thousand years when the devil is released, the first thing people do is sin again. Even though they've been in a perfect environment with Christ, They'll sin again once they're introduced to the devil. Why? Aha! You nailed it. That is why yeah. there's a That's one of the reasons for a millennial kingdom. God will keep his promises, but he will also demonstrate that even in an environment where you don't have the problem of suffering, even in an environment where God is accessible, even in an environment where there is justice only, you will still have human beings rebel, and they don't get another chance. So this is a, a final proof, Mac, in, in my understanding, because people could say, well, look, I didn't really understand the God, or I never really knew God, or look, there was too much suffering and too much pain, and I couldn't understand how there could be a just God. Okay, so God is going to have a world in which the knowledge of the glory of the Lord covers the earth as the water covers the sea, and still there will be people even... In, in, my, in my book... In my book, that is a further demonstration of the sinfulness of human beings, the incredible mercy of God that he sent his son to die for us, to, to redeem us, to forgive us, something quite extraordinary that he, that he even gave a second chance to the human race is purely his grace and undeserved. And again, he doesn't have to do it for everyone, but that to me is another purpose of the millennium, to demonstrate that even in that environment, when given the option Human beings will still choose rebellion, and they, of course, will be destroyed. Hey, thank you. Great, great questions. We could talk much more, but I, I want to try to get to one more call. So, uh, Ryan in Greensville, South Carolina, uh, time is short. Please dive in. Hey, thanks, uh, Dr. Michael Brown. You know, I've been um, kind of struck by Deuteronomy chapter 3, 23 through 29, where Moses is rejected from entering Canaan. And I go back through, and I think of all the times where... Um, through his leadership or through the um, obstinance and failure to follow the statutes of God, the Israelites uh, created a lot of problems for Moses. And two examples in particular, the first example at Mount Horeb, where he got, uh, because of the groaning of the Israelites, water came out of the rock. And then the last situation that I think is in, that you see is that when Moses strikes the rock twice, and it appears to be I think this is around uh, where they're in the wilderness at Paran. He strikes it twice. I think it's both because he's angry at God and angry at the angry at the Israelites again. And I'm just curious of your thoughts about um, you know the fate of the mode of Moses and how it has anything to do with his failure to lead. Yes. Yeah, so Moses is only disqualified from entering the Promised Land after. Uh, numbers the 20th chapter 
And uh, he's an exemplary leader. He's one of the greatest men who ever walked on the planet and one of the men who knew God most deeply and had most revealed to him. And because so much was given to him, so much was required of him. And in Numbers 20, he deeply misrepresented the character and nature of God to the people of Israel. He did not sanctify God. And and he, uh, he, he smacks the rock and, you rebels, do I have to do this again? He misrepresents God's character, God's nature, and even puts himself in a position unrighteously as, as if he was the one doing it. And because he failed to sanctify the Lord, it's the key thing to really examine in Numbers 20. Because of that, he could not lead them into the promised land. So he dies a righteous man. He dies a man with a great spiritual heritage. He appears with Elijah to Jesus on the Mount of Transfiguration and the Gospels. Uh, in, in heaven, we sing the song of Moses and the song of the Lamb. So he remains and will forever remain one of the most revered human beings who ever walked the planet and unique in the plan of redemption. I mean, the same words, same sentence. We say Moses and then we say Jesus, right? John 1, for the law was given through Moses. Grace and truth came through Jesus, the Messiah. So highly exalted, greatly used, but because so much was given to him and because he so failed to sanctify the name of God and misrepresented him in the eyes of the people, for that transgression, he could not enter the Holy Land. And it's even another symbol, Moses and the law can only go so far. Joshua, Yehoshua, which is the long name for Jesus, he brings the people into the promised land. All right, we are out of time. Join us again for a special broadcast tomorrow right here on The Line of Fire.